Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, howdy. That's how they say it in the South. Are we in the South? We can say, what's up? Whatever we say here. Hey, what's up? My name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor and super excited to be with you today. We're going to continue to experience God together. And uh, it's going to be an amazing day as we talk about legacy for a few moments. But as we get started with that, I just want to celebrate this. Uh, we have a guy in our church that uh, is from Brazil. He goes to our South Shore campus. He actually interprets into Portuguese for us for South Shore. And uh, uh, he used to pastor in Brazil, has the greatest evangelistic heart of probably anybody I know personally. You can't go anywhere with him without him leading somebody to Jesus. He's amazing. And uh, so he came to us and was planning another trip to Brazil to go preach and evangelize and share the gospel. And uh, his name is Elton Tavares. And uh, Elton sent us a message. We, we funded it. You funded it uh, to send him there for a, a couple weeks to go share the gospel. And so Elton got in Brazil and has been doing amazing things. And as of last Tuesday, almost a week ago now, uh, he sent us a message. And there had been 30 people make decisions for Christ. Yeah. As well as seeing signs and wonders and miracles happen and things like that. And I don't know where, I don't know where Cat Cunningham is in the building, but all my ASOM people say, what's up? Check out the ASOM shirt representing preaching across Brazil. That's pretty cool. I think that's prophetic for all you students going through ASOM. Like, may God use you in incredible, incredible ways. Some of you are like, what? That's, that's, he's wearing an ASOM shirt in the picture if you don't recognize that. Okay. Um, so super excited. Uh, also, um, in two weeks, we want to mention this and keep it on the front of our minds. Uh, we start three services in two weeks, uh, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. The 8.30 service will be just service only. So there's no kids' ministry, there's no Hope Cafe, there's none of the other extra things. It'll be just what happens in this room, basically, only. And it's mask only for the 8.30. So if you know people that will only come if they get a mask and can, can really distance far out, uh, that'll be a great opportunity for them on Easter Sunday and going forward for a little while. Uh, so uh, invite them to that Easter Sunday. Um, we joke, the only thing that's going to be touching you is Jesus. Come on. Uh, and so... Um, Mask only. And then uh, 10 a.m. and then 11.30. So think about it in yourself. I'll quiz you next week probably on which service you're going to attend. But then there's 10 a.m. and 11.30. So in this room, would you go to 10? Would you go to 11.30? Probably 11.30, I would imagine. But you can make up uh, your mind on that. And starting Easter Sunday, uh, we are going to do what's probably the coolest series we've ever done in our church. It's going to be an absolute blast. It's called Not Today, Satan. And uh, this is going to quickly become your favorite series, I believe. Um, not today, Satan. We have written dramatic parts out, and so we will be dramatically using uh, dramatic performance through video and live, at least at this campus live, some of it, uh, I believe, uh, to inter interpret and tell you what it looks like if a senior demon were teaching lesser demons how to tempt you. And then we're going to be unhashing that all in here. It's going to be an absolute blast. If you're familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis's famous screw tape letters, this is like our rise version of screw tape letters. And it's going to be a blast. And so along with that, you have a couple things. First of all, uh, make sure you get one of these when you leave. This is a yard sign. It's just missing the metal part on the bottom. Uh, to stick in your yard to invite your neighbors um, to come. We've had quite a few people come to our church uh, because of yard signs. And by the way, when we say come to our church, it's really not about coming to our church. It's about coming to Jesus. Amen. Our church just becomes a place where people often come to Jesus. And so uh, we've had quite a few people come to the Lord through simply putting a yard sign in your yard. 
uh, key people that are serving in our church right now. Our, our young adults leaders, they were in our 9 o'clock service. Brandon and Nicole came because of a yard sign, yeah. and now there's significant leaders yeah. in our church going through yeah. ASOM. Uh, as well as on your way out, and, and you should have gotten some when you walked in, but uh, you, we have new guest cards for this next series. What I'm challenging you to do is pray over a few names of people you're going to invite. Now, you can do the whole shotgun thing and just give them to everybody you see. That's, that's all fine and dandy. But I really challenge you to pray over a few names, three, four, five names, and pray over them and say, God, I'm going to invite this person. I'm going to give them this card. I pray that they respond and they come to Jesus through this invite. And so uh, you can get some of these on your way out over the next couple weeks. Uh, there will be some really cool four-year fun and stuff next week that we'll talk about along with the Not Today Satan uh, theme. But it's going to be a blast. Uh, Easter is the easiest time of the year to invite somebody to church. 82% of Christians never invite somebody to church in any given year. That's sad. That's sad. Uh, uh, so let's invite somebody. Actually, I think I said that wrong. I think it's 98% of Christians never invite anybody to church on a given year. 82% of people say they would come if they were only invited. Easter is a great opportunity to invite somebody. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, invite somebody. Get them here Easter Sunday. You will not regret it. It's going to be a blast. And, uh, and this whole next series for the month of April is going to be so much fun. Now, we're not, not done with Build Your Tell. We have another week of that as well. All right, with that being said, um, let me just change formats for just a second and, and share this. Uh, when I was a child, I was nearsighted um, when I was young. And so, like, like, it was one of those things where you're a kid, and you're looking at the marker board, and it looks kind of blurry, and you're trying to see it. It's not true. It was a chalkboard back then. Somebody don't even know what chalkboard is, <laughs> but it was a chalkboard. We hadn't graduated to marker boards yet at that point. Um, but it was a, a chalkboard, so you can't see it as well. It's kind of blurry. And so I found out that I needed glasses, and it was like this whole other world opened up to me when I put glasses on. I'm like, oh, people are out there. I just saw blurs before. And uh, I, later on, I had a surgery that, that corrected that. But, um, but I could see what was close up, but I couldn't see what was far away. Oftentimes in Christianity, we become nearsighted in the way that we view the world. We see ourselves, but we don't see anything beyond ourselves. We see our church, but we don't see the church. We see our needs, but we don't see needs outside of our own household. And we can become very guilty of this. I think it's a, a problem in general in the world, but it's especially a problem within the church world because God died on a cross. Jesus came to give you new life and new sight. Yes. He came to open your eyes, to give you corrective lenses, whatever you want to call it, so that you could see what's beyond yourself, so that life becomes more than just what I want. It becomes what I can do for him to help others. Are you all with me? Yeah. Once you open your eyes to the world around you, it can be disturbing. I believe it's 689, 000, or 689 million people around the world live in extreme poverty. That means they're getting less than 1,800 calories a day. That, that's one thing to do it for a diet for a few days, but you do that long term, that is not a diet, that's starvation. Just under 10% of the population of the world and rising, it's been declining for a long time, but since COVID happened, it's actually rising again. Just under 10% of the population lives in that extreme poverty where they are malnourished. Uh, child deaths around the world, which are just always tragic, at least half of those tragic child deaths happen because people are malnourished. And if we're not careful, what happens is we live in our world where we have our, our, our cars and our homes, and we even, have, we even have homes for our cars called garages sometimes, and, and we think, oh, life is hard for us, but we don't see beyond our needs to actually see what's out there. How do you build your tell? We've been on this series talking about build your tell. How do you build your tell when you don't have anything to start with when you're in Ethiopia or Nicaragua 
and you're literally being born into poverty, and there's really very little way of getting out of poverty. How do you build your tell when it wasn't that it got knocked down from you? It got knocked down generations before you, and you're starting with nothing. In moments like that, the very best of human nature comes forth. And if you're a Christian, the very best of Christianity comes forth because we partner together and become stronger together than we ever will be apart. Think of September 11th. Everybody came together because we shared and fought over, over or shared a, a pain together. Uh, think of different things that might happen in your neighborhood or your family. It brings everybody together to serve one another. That's the most beautiful parts of Christianity is when we can start serving one another in places like that. And we've got to come together when somebody doesn't have a brick and lend them a brick to start building. Are you all with me? Uh, we are a church that believes in that. But not only that, we want to be clear that humanitarian efforts are beautiful, but if they are not connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are ultimately not profitable. It is good to help somebody, but if you build them a home on earth, but they don't hear that they can have a home in heaven, what have we really accomplished? Life is a vapor. Life is a mist. It's very short. We put a lot of emphasis on it, but it's very short in the grand scheme of things. And so you have to always connect humanitarian work with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of, think of uh, Romans. Uh, go to that next slide. Romans chapter 10, I believe it is, verses 13 through 15. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a beautiful statement unto itself. But what about those who haven't heard? So he says, how then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are a church that is committed to bringing good news. That's the gospel. And committed to bringing humanitarian efforts and helping people rebuild their lives, rebuild their tell, and have a story that not only my life got better, but my eternity got better. Are you with me? Say it this way. We at Arise will not be nearsighted. Just, Just let that sink in. Some of you aren't getting it yet. We at Arise will not be nearsighted. That is not who we are. We will see the needs of our brothers and sisters, see them as children of God, and step in to do what we can to actually help and serve and be with them. You cannot say you love God and why you hate your brother. And if you see somebody struggling when you have the ability to help them and you don't, that's hating your brother. So I'm not, this is not a guilt trip by any means. It's not what this is, so I apologize if it sounds like that. It's not a guilt trip. This is just the reality that we live in a blessed land. We live in the most prosperous society in the history of the world. And any time you've been blessed, it's for the purpose of being a blessing. So if God has blessed you, it's for the purpose of blessing somebody else. Okay? If God's made you physically stronger than a weak person, you should help the weak person. If God's given you a, a great mind and you are mentally stronger than a person with a weak mind, it's to help the person with a weak mind. Anywhere God has blessed you, Christian ethics says, I need to help somebody else who doesn't have what I have. And in that, you become something beautiful called the body of Christ. It's the kingdom of God working together. And so we are a church that is absolutely not nearsighted. I don't know if you know this, but because of your giving, literally right now there are people that are living in homes that would not have them if you hadn't given. Let that sink in. Children going to sleep in beds they would not have if you had not given. Children getting education they would have never gotten had you not given. Children uh, growing up who would have probably been trafficked in human trafficking that are living in safe environments because you give. Let that sink in. 
That is who we are as a church, that we are going to be a church that is not just nearsighted, seeing our own problems, but go beyond that. And so to talk about that, uh, we're going to bring up a friend of mine in just a second, but I want to encourage you, we can all do something. And when he's done talking in just a moment, we're going to fill out legacy pledge cards. You got those when you walked in a little while ago. And this is your pledge for the next year to giving to what we call legacy. Some people might call it missions. We call it legacy because it includes things that are traditional missions. So benevolence needs inside of our own church. Somebody loses their job. They fall on hard times. We can help them. But then also going just beyond our church to places like USF and doing ministry on USF and then literally around the world. But we are going to challenge you to give. And here's the thing I want you to hear. I want you to give as the Lord leads. But we can all do something. And this is the challenge that every person, and when I say person, it could be couple, so it could be one per couple, but every person is giving something this morning or pledging something because that's what God has called us to do. And I don't apologize for that. It could be $1. It could be $100 a month. It could be $1 a month. It could be whatever in between or beyond. But give something. Pledge something. Put yourself out there to say, I will refuse to be nearsighted and only see my problems. I'm going to do something for somebody else. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So uh, this morning we have an amazing couple with us, Than and Megan Grafham. And, and Than's going to uh, come out in just a second. Than uh, and Megan lead the Hope Project, which is where we get the title of the Hope Cafe. If you've been in the church for a long time now, you know back when we named it, uh, we named it after them uh, because we give all the pro proceeds to them, anything that's made from the Hope Cafe. Now we've actually stepped beyond that and made them key partner missionaries of ours. Uh, Than has been a friend for many years, uh, and I love their ministry because they were literally uh, kids pastors who God called to do something that seemed ridiculous at the time, seemed uh, just... just and let's start feeding people and helping people. And it has grown into this amazing ministry. He's going to talk about it today. Uh, but these are your missionaries that you support. Would you put your hands together for my good friend, Than Graffin? Awesome. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's really good to be here. I think my wife and I have actually been with you guys three times now over the past couple of years. And it's always a pleasure. It's always an honor. We always cherish our moments here. And I want to share something with you guys that I felt led to share with the first service as well. And, you know, we have lots of opportunities to travel around and to speak. Uh, we're invited to talk about our ministry or just to talk about missions or just, you know, share with students a different way of living. And it's very refreshing. It's a breath of fresh air to walk into an environment like Arise where it is clear that the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. It's clear. And it's not always like that. We go some places and we're preparing our hearts and we're getting ready to share and something feels off. And I know it's not like this, but in my mind, I picture kind of looking out the door I walked in and the Holy Spirit is just outside the door. Like, you got this, bro. <laughs> Knock him dead. You can do it. And we're like, no, I can't do it. I literally can't do it without you in here. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like we smuggle the Holy Spirit in places. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you can do that. We smuggle them in. We don't tell anyone. We keep it quiet. We're like, maybe we'll tell them after the offering, but we're not telling them before the offering, okay? No, no doubt. But the Holy Spirit has to be a part. He has to go. He has to lead the way. And I would say to you, if this is your home church or if this is your first time here, don't take this for granted. Don't take the atmosphere that you're allowed to walk into freely where the Holy Spirit is moving and working and changing things in people's lives. Don't take that for granted when you're able to walk into that situation. And so I know for my wife and I, we started Hope Project in 2013 on the back porch 
of our 997 square foot home in Lakeland, Florida. Just the two of us. We bought a book, uh, How to Start a Nonprofit, for 50 bucks. It was like, no groceries this week, but we're buying this book. And we opened it up and we started it with nothing. All we had really was each other and a promise from God and the Holy Spirit. And he's done incredible things. I can't imagine where we would be without him. You know, churches like Arise have come alongside of us and helped along the way, but it's been the Holy Spirit. And so what we do, I often say this very humbly, but I believe we have the best job in the world, the best job you can have. We get to travel around the world, sometimes to very obscure places, and we sit down with pastors, missionaries, Christian leaders, community leaders. Uh, we sit down with, with heads of Bible schools or elementary schools, and we just hear people's vision. We hear how they would reach their community for Christ if they had the resources. We go to some of the poorest neighborhoods in the world, and we find a pastor that's like has this vision that's way bigger than even our budget. But we get to hear it, and, and then we get to leave those places. And we were in Ethiopia last week. Two weeks ago, we were in Ethiopia. And then this week, we got to drive to Brandon, Florida, and we got to walk into a rise church and get up on the platform. And I get to say, guess what? Because of your giving, because of your generosity, God is moving around the world. And hope is alive and well because of you. And that's what we get to do. And I have to be honest, we don't take that for granted because in the last year, there were many moments where we felt that may all go away. A lot of what we do is traveling and going and seeing and doing. And there were moments last March where we literally thought this could be it. This could be the whole thing. It's over. And the way we run our ministry is we're very calendar oriented. We let the Holy Spirit work, but the Holy Spirit can work years in advance. Okay, He doesn't have to work just in the moment. And so we actually had a 10-year calendar on the wall in our living room, in our apartment, a 10-year calendar. And it's built in such a way, it's pretty cool. My wife found it online somewhere. I don't know how she does it. She has this magical touch uh, that she can just find anything in the world. And this 10-year calendar is built like a scroll. And you can see as much of the calendar as you want at a time. And we usually had two years out. You know, 2020, we had 20 trips around the world with teams to help people. We actually started 2020 with a trip on the calendar for fall of 2021. That's how we roll. That's, that's like not nearsighted at all. And we had a moment where we had to decide, can we still do this thing God's called us to do? Will the resources be there? Will the churches still give? Will the people still give? Will anyone still go? And, you know, we were reluctant to cancel anything, cancel a trip. Uh, to cancel a team going down to build homes or feed kids or, or do a Bible school. We were reluctant because we knew that canceling 20 trips literally meant canceling $200,000 of aid that we would be taking with us on those trips. Yeah. It meant the cancellation of 100 to 120 homes yeah. that would be built for families that were living in the mud crying out to God. It meant 100,000 meals wouldn't be served. 80,000 pounds of groceries would not hit the doorstep of families in need. And so we reluctantly sat down one day and said, it's time to move the calendar. It's time to look at it, take a clear look at it. And so Megan got out all of her notes and all of her little tools that she uses, organization. I got a step stool out, and I went up to reach up and change our calendar, and it fell off the wall. In a moment, it crashed below us. And we literally stood there over this paper, that just mangled mess. And I didn't ask Pastor Brent to leave this up here today uh, because it would have given me nightmares, taking me back to 2020. But this is how we felt. We felt like we were looking at our hopes and our dreams and the thing that God had called us to as a pile of rubble that had fallen right before us. And we were kind of stuck with a moment here where it's like, what do we do? You know, do we simply 
uh, try to pick it up ourselves and tape it back to the wall and, and just kind of create an idol in our home of what we want to do, right? Or do we step over the rubble and say, well, that was a good run. I guess it's over, you know. Thank you, everybody, but we're going to have to go do something else in life. But what we decided to do was ask God to rebuild that rubble, to rebuild our ministry, to rebuild who we are as people, to rebuild what we did. And if you're going to find yourself in this moment where you're kind of trying to rebuild or trying to get back to normalcy, I've heard a thousand times over the last year, you've got to ask God to do it, first of all. And then you've got to be actively involved in it, second of all. But third of all, most importantly, you can't concentrate on the what. You cannot rebuild your life only focusing on what it used to be, what I used to do, how it looked before. You can't focus on the how. How did we do things? Okay, we did things this way. We raised money this way. We went to churches this way. We built homes this way. We had to change it and focus on the why. Yeah. Why is it that we do what we do? Why is it that we live the life we live? Why do we give? Why are we at church on Sunday mornings? Why are we raising our children up in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it? Why are we creating space for the next generation? Why do we do these things? And I know for me personally, answering the question why has probably been the hardest thing of my life. And I think this is why. When I was a kid, I got in a lot of trouble. I did. It happened. I, was, I don't know if I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But every time I got in trouble, my dad would come to me and say the same thing. Why? Why, son? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you go there? Why would you be with those people? Why? Did your parents do this to you? Anybody? Okay. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Parents in the room, do you do this to your kids? Raise your hand. I'm not, I'm not going to say don't raise your hand. No, I want to see. Who does this? Okay, yeah. Stop it. Okay? It's, it's not productive. Oh, you can't. I have an eight-year-old son. I look at him every day, and I want to say, why? Or say, honey, go in there and ask him why. Right? We just kind of, we had to find a better way, right? Actually, for our son, he started saying this thing that we thought was hilarious. It's not why, but it's pretty equivalent. He used to say, what is wrong with you? And he, we thought it was cute at first. I would do something and say, Dad, what is wrong with you? And we'd laugh, and it was cute. And then he started doing it to, like, other kids' parents. We were like, whoa, <laughs> hold up. That what is wrong with you thing, that's over, okay? But why is a hard question for anybody. I know, I can say now, I just turned 40 years old, which is like, whoa, I know, shocking, okay? But I can now, with confidence, tell you exactly why I live the way I live, why I make the choices I make, why we do the things we do, why we serve the God we serve, why we go the places we go. I can tell you why. And I can tell you the why of Hope Project. You know, what we do with Hope Project is simple. And if you were to ask us about it, you would say, why do you go around the world building homes for families in need? The answer is in the question, because the families are in need. Yes. Why do you feed children who otherwise wouldn't have food to eat? Because they otherwise wouldn't have food to eat. You know, why do you send kids to school that couldn't normally go to school? Because they couldn't normally go to school. And we know God has a future for them, and we're going to send them and see what he does. You know, why, why do you do the things you do? And for us, it's simple. Uh, my son, I just told you about him, he's eight years old. Before he started kindergarten, he didn't go to any type of school. He didn't go to, to preschool. He never went to daycare. He went with us wherever we went. He, was, he is Hope Project. We have pictures of him in a diaper, sitting on a suitcase, packing it full of supplies to go on a missions trip. He wanted to be a part. And he used to go with us to meetings. You know, we would sit down with pastors and, and people that wanted to maybe donate. Our son was there every step of the way. And one day we actually had a meeting at 9 o'clock at a Starbucks, met with a pastor. Our son was there. After the meeting, we went across the parking lot and had lunch with somebody else. Our son was there. 
After that, we went back across the parking lot to Starbucks. Our son was there. And he was with us everywhere we went. And one day, we sat down with a pastor. It was actually the missions pastor at our home church. They wanted to do something with us. We thought, this is going to be great. We brought our son. We got our coffee. We sat down. And before we could open our mouths, our son leaned forward and put his hand on the table. And he said, boys and girls around the world are sleeping in dirt, and you can help them. That's what he said. And I was like, yes. Amen. We usually start with, like, small talk, like, how are you? How are things going? Oh, by the way. But my son went straight to it because he knew the why. And what I want to talk to you guys about today is, is kind of a deeper why. It's not the shallow why of, yes, I go to church because it's a good thing to do. Or I give because, you know, whatever. It's a deeper why. And it's a why that can only be experienced after the work is done. After the funds have been given. After the people go. After the word has been proclaimed. After the home has been built. After the child has been fed. Then there's a real why we get to experience and it's a deep one. And this why, it actually allows us to interact with Scripture in a pretty cool way. It, acts, it allows our life to line up with the, the life that Jesus talked about when he was on earth. And we get to interact with Scripture. Most importantly, Scripture is in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read it in a little bit. If you have your Bible, you want to go there. It's Luke 4. It's going to be verses 14 through 21. And this is a verse, actually, where Jesus says why he came, why he was on earth, why he did the things he did. And so Luke 4, starting with verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus showed up on the scene, and he said, guess what? I hear you talking about me. I know word spreading. This is why I'm here. And he picked a potent passage of scripture, Old Testament Isaiah, scroll to read and announce who he was. And there's a lot in here. You could spend weeks studying just this scripture and, and, and telling people what it's about. But Jesus, first and foremost, was saying this. I am here to meet every human need. Every need, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Whatever it is you are going through or have been through or might go through one day, I can fix it. I can do it and I can meet the need like that. Jesus came to meet the need, to proclaim, to set people free. He also talks about in here at the end of the verse, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is interesting. This right here is Jesus taking an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah, that's talking about the year of Jubilee. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. You can read about it in Leviticus. I'm sure it's been taught about here. The year of Jubilee was a chance for things to be made right. It was every 50 years when slaves were set free, when if you were in debt, your debts were forgiven. It was where if you had lost land and someone else now owned your family's ancestral land, it was given back to you. Anything that was taken or stolen or borrowed and never returned was given back. And Jesus said, I came to do this. I came to set people free. And, you know, when we 
interact with scripture, that's a, that's a potent scripture. There's an easier one for us. That's just one sentence. Jesus tells us who he is. He says this. He says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that they may have life to the full. And when we do the work we do, when you give and when you send teams and you send people to Brazil to proclaim the gospel, you are interacting with scripture and you're doing the things Jesus talked about. And, you know, we do it, and, and there's kind of two things. There's two major whys of what we do. And the first one is this. It's, you know, the greatest compliment I think I've ever received was really a compliment. It was said to my wife and I, but it was about Hope Project. There was a pastor in Nicaragua that we had been partnering with, and he prayed over us one day. And after he prayed, he looked at us and he said, the enemy hates the work that you do because it exposes him as the liar that he is. You expose the enemy as the liar that he is. Jesus exposed him in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the way he does that is lying. He's lying to every single one of us any chance he gets. Let me ask you this. Have you ever once in the past year had this thought, what is wrong with me? You've left a conversation or a relationship or a hard time or just you've just felt weird in your room all by yourself and you've thought, what is wrong with me? The answer is nothing. You're being lied to. That's what's wrong with you. And if there is something wrong with you, because it's possible, there might be something wrong with you. I'm not going to lie. I can't tell you that. If there is something wrong with you, God won't reveal it with guilty words in your ear. That's not how he speaks. You know, early on in, in, in COVID, I, I was kind of trying to do what I was doing. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, what are you thinking? You're an idiot. You really think you can do this? And then I thought, that's not how God speaks to me. I don't think God has ever spoken to me like that. Okay, there are people that have spoken to me like that. The enemy has spoken to me like that, and I exposed him as a liar that he was just like that. And that's what we get to do. You know, we sit down with single moms that have just received a home in the name of Jesus. And we say, guess what? You thought you were nothing, and you thought you were broken, and you thought you'd never have anything for your family. God thought differently. And those were all lies, and he has seen your need, and he's met it. We sit down with kids, and they tell them they're going to go to school for the first time in their lives. We sent a kid to school at 12 years old for the first time in his life. And he lived at a place where he didn't know if his mom was ever going to be there. He didn't know where his dad was. He was oftentimes, as the older brother at 12, the head of the household. And he never thought he would ever get a chance to learn or be anything. But that was a lie. And we exposed it. You know, we have, there's an orphanage that we fully fund in Asia. And it's full of kids. Listen to this. It's in a country where only 2% of the people are Christian. Less than 2% are Christian. And this orphanage is the children of Christian church planters that went into their country, into darkness, planted churches, got sick and died on the field. And these children are now orphaned. And they sit in this home in Southeast Asia. And we've sat down with them before and we asked them one day what they wanted to be when they grew up. And then we braced ourselves, right? Knowing their families died for the gospel. They might be a little bitter. They might have had the enemy in their ear and lied to them. So we said, what do you want to be when you grow up? The first one, church planter. Okay. What do you want to be when you grow up? Church planter. Yep. What do you want to be when you grow up? Children's worker. Yep. Evangelist. Yep. Missionary. Yep. Every single one of them wanted to be what had been stolen from them from the enemy. Yeah. One little girl. Yeah. One little girl wanted to be a spy. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, though. I won't tell you what country it is. But if you want to be a, Scott, a spy for the gospel, now's your chance. Now <laughs> is your moment, little girl. Go be a spy for the gospel. 
Because no one else can tell the stories of Jesus but you. We expose the enemy as the liar that he is over and over. The second way that we get to kind of experience the gospel and live it out and interact with these scriptures, the second why of what we do is because we want to actually exalt Jesus as the promise keeper that he is. We can expose the enemy and we can say, oh, that's a lie. But if we never tell the truth, what's the point? We never bring it full circle and say, we're going to exalt God because he's a promise keeper. And, you know, we've built over 200 homes around the world. And we always have a moment when we build a home where no matter where the funds came from, no matter who built it, no matter what team did it, we sit with the family at the end of the day and we hear their story. And then we say, this home is a gift from God to your family. This is him seeing your need and meeting it. And we give them that home in the name of Jesus. And many times for a season in Nicaragua, we would hear families say this, I prayed for a roof and now God has given me a home. And they would point at their house with tears in their eyes. They would say, man, I never dreamed I would have this home. And a lot of the men on the trip are like, that's about a little bit smaller than my workshop, but it's their home. They never dreamed they would have because they had just believed maybe one day they'd have a roof and God provided a home. We didn't know why they kept saying this. It was literally month after month after month. Family after family said this. And we're like, is that like a saying in Nicaragua? Like, I believe God for a roof and he gave me a home. Amen. Right? Is that like something you guys say? Right? Something maybe lost in translation. But no. Actually, there was a government program in Nicaragua where you could apply for four sheets of metal. The government said, we'll help you. You can apply. And if you go through our system, you can get four sheets of metal and you can literally have a roof. And families were applying. And families were giving it all, and families were waiting and praying, waiting for the news that one day maybe those four sheets of metal would show up at their house and at where they lived, and they could have a roof over their head. But no, we built homes in the name of Jesus, and we, ex- we exalted God yes. as the promise keeper that he is. Yes. In Ephesians 3.20, he tells us he can do more than we ever ask or imagine or think. If we are asking for a roof, guess what? Up the ante, because he can do more. Yeah. More in our lives, more in us, more through us than we ever dreamed. And so that's kind of what we've done. That's our life. We started on our back porch with a book and an application for the IRS. And since then, we've traveled all over the world and seen God do incredible things. And if I could tell you, like, how God has moved in both of those ways in one story, I can tell you about this lady. I want to show you right here, this picture and this mom. And in this picture, she's happy and she's smiling and she looks very pleasant. She was a sweet girl. But that is not how we found her that day when we got to her house. We brought a team to build, I think, three houses that week. This was the third one. We got to her house, and she was not smiling. She was not looking anyone in the eye. She was broken. She was a woman that you could tell carried guilt and shame because she had been lied to. And she had been lied to so much by the enemy that her natural beauty that God had created her with had been sucked from her body, had been sucked from her face, and she just looked broken. The women on the trip began to come around her and encourage her and talk to her and hear her story. And this is just hours after having the Holy Spirit come to your house and speak life into you. She was smiling and she was excited. We finished her home that week and we got to that moment, the dedication, where we get to say, this is a gift from God. Look what God did in your life. Look how great he is. And we heard her story. And we found out about the shame and the guilt and the lies she had been believing because she had left her family and moved out to the countryside and she hadn't seen her family since she moved because she was embarrassed because she left to go be with a boy right and she was with this young man and before long she became pregnant and she had a baby and then that young man disappeared and here she was far from home far from mom and dad 
far from the life that she knew before and felt I can never go back because I've ruined it. I've lost it. And the enemy had lied to her so much. And she actually lived on like the back porch area of her in-laws. This other boy's parents let her stay there with the baby. And she lived kind of, she didn't even have four walls. She was kind of referring to her area and pointing like, I used to live here. And we're all trying to like figure out where did someone live in that? It was just kind of a sheet of metal that you could, so rusted you could see through it. And then one of the, where a wall should be was just a sheet, a bed sheet that would blow in the wind. And as she talked, it would blow up. And you could look inside and see a bed, a bed in there. A dirty, nasty, broken down bed. And she said, that's where I would sleep at night. And when it rained, I wouldn't sleep because I would just get my son, my baby, and I'd put him under my body so that he'd be dry. And when it rained and it poured in the rainy season of Nicaragua, I would just lay there and I would actually cry out to God and say, God, please, please give me a warm, safe, dry place for my baby to sleep. That's all she could think to ask. She didn't ask for outrageous things. She didn't have a big, long list of what God could do in her life. She just wanted a cold, a warm, safe, dry place for her baby to sleep. You know, when she told our team this, we stood there, and you saw grown men and women weep. We lost it. We, like, were beside ourselves because we had just seen a moment earlier we could peeked our head inside of her brand-new home, and we all looked in and went, oh, shit, everyone be quiet because this is what was happening 10 feet away. In that moment, her deepest desire, her greatest prayer, the one thing that if she could have a God come down and reach in and fix had been taken care of. That prayer had been answered. The lie from the enemy, broken, gone, released. Those chains, shackles broken. And the promise of God was alive and well 10 feet away as her son slept in a warm, safe, dry place. Yeah. The next time I saw this woman was a couple months later. We went on a trip, and I didn't really even recognize her. I'm like, I know that person. We went into the church, and they were having the discipleship program. And we walked in, and I saw this woman. She came running up, smiling. She was like, hi. And I'm like, hey. And then I realized that was her. She was now in the church serving with her child. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know what? That little baby, we are blessed to have done this long enough now that last year, when we presented 200 children in this community with their school uniforms, guess who got a backpack and a uniform and shoes? This little young man. Yeah. God has done more than just that safe, dry bed for her, and he has been exalted as a promise keeper. And God has done amazing things over and over and over and over, and I could literally spend hours telling you all the stories, some of the stories even. But I do have to admit this, and it's hard for me to admit. All of this almost didn't happen. It almost didn't. We started our nonprofit on our back porch, and we wanted to go to Nicaragua. We heard about this community where people were living like this, and we looked at each other and said, we need to raise X amount of money. We thought we had to raise this crazy amount of money to go make a difference anywhere. And after six months of traveling and speaking and sitting down with pastors and and coffees and selling t-shirts and just yard sales and anything we could do. We had about 20% of what we thought we needed. We wanted 10,000 and we settled in just about $2,000 we had raised. So we bought the cheapest plane tickets we could. We packed light. We went to the country with $1,800 in hand. That was it. We thought it was nothing, almost embarrassing. 
And we gave 600 to a missionary that had an orphanage there to baby formula, diapers, things those kids need. Then we took 1,200 out to this community. We thought we were going to see a children's program where they were feeding 100 kids every day. We thought, cool, maybe we'll feed 50 more. Maybe they can give them better food. We got out there to an empty church and a tired, worn-down pastor's wife who stood there with her head down saying, we're not feeding any kids. We've lost all funding. We had $1,000 coming in a month from a man in America, and he's cut that off, and we have no funds. We have nothing. And we stood there with our $1,200, and we said, this is what we have, a six-month organization, a huge dream, the Holy Spirit, and 1200 bucks. Take it. It's yours. Take it. Feed the kids again. Start the program. Start doing the work again, and we'll be back. And we got in the van, and we closed the door, and we said, we're coming back, right? <laughs> we just... <laughs> I don't want to make a liar out of God, but we said we were coming back in his name. And I'll tell you, that was in uh, October of 2013. Since then, we've taken 70 international trips around the world doing just that, saying yes and giving resources. Yeah. From our back porch with our $50 book on how to start a nonprofit, we've now raised more than $2 million for missions. We've built over 200 houses, provided over 300,000 meals to hungry children, we sent over 1,000 children to school that wouldn't have been able to go. We've literally seen kids that lived in a home with a dirt floor graduate high school and go to university. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. I wish I could take, like, a percentage of the credit for any of that, but I can't. I'm just the guy that gets to go there and then come back here and stand before you and tell you what God did and what you did how you gave, and how it made a difference. And so in just a minute, your pastor's going to come up, and he's going to speak to you more. But I just want to take a chance to pray for you uh, before I leave the stage. So let's just close our eyes real quick. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, over your house, over this house. Your pastor said it clearly. If you are blessed, it is to be a blessing. And so I hope that the people in this room are blessed beyond their wildest dreams because I trust and know that this is a house that will help you figure out what you're supposed to do with that. And so I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus, I just love you, and I lift up everyone in this room, everyone in the first service, everyone online, everyone who's not here today because they couldn't make it, God. I want the blessing to reach all of them. I want your hand to be upon all of them. God, we give you our lives, and we thank you for the ability to interact with you and your word, and your mission on earth, that we can give, and we can go, and we can see you make things right around the world. God, use us and our resources to, number one, expose the enemy as the liar that he is, and number two, to exalt you as the promise keeper that you are. We love you. We praise you. We will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put your hands together for... Dan and Megan and the Hope Project. We can all do something. Uh, back in 2014, our church partnered with the Hope Project when they were still young and getting this thing up and running. And we built seven houses in that same barrio in Nicaragua. Literally, there's one street that separates the dump from the homes, and the people that live in the homes go and scavenge in the dump to find things they can sell and make a profit from and, and make money from. And we went, and I remember hearing some of the stories as 
they're building some of the houses that we funded. And, and, and I remember one of the ladies, we interviewed her and brought it back to the church, but that was seven years ago. Many of you weren't here back then. And I remember her saying that the tin roof that was over where she was staying before had holes all inside of it. And every time it rained, she would chew gum and stick it in the holes to kind of keep the rain from falling on her bed and on her and her family. You get to be a part of something so beautiful. So kingdom. One of the things I love about that, I just think this is a cool story and it's so kingdom. So when we built seven homes uh, in 2014 with them, uh, Ralph Abar and I went down there as, as part of that project and, and we sent the money. The St. Louis Cardinals actually built the houses. It's kind of an ironic thing, right? I didn't even know this was going on. I got down there and there's all these like really strapping like young guys that are like really built and buff and I'm like, who are these guys? It was like one of the minor league teams for the St. Louis Cardinals, like sent them down on a missions trip and said, build this and play baseball with the kids in the barrio and you know, baseball's, baseball's big in Nicaragua. So you sent the money, they built the houses, the Hope Project, Dan and Megan put it all together to make it happen. That's kingdom. Yeah, that's, right. that's kingdom. Absolutely. That's how it works. Yeah. We partner together to make a difference. And not only do we partner together like that, but we partner together. We showed a video right off the front of the widow's mite. This is what I know about the people in this room. There are all kinds of people financially. There are some people that you could give significantly in a monthly pledge. There are other people that you are strapped to the bone. But I challenge you that everybody can give something yeah. in the pledge. Literally, it could be $1 a month. And I want you to hear me. Look at me in the eyeballs. Everybody watching online, look at me in the eyeballs. I want you to hear me. If it's $1 a month, do not be ashamed of that. That might be your widow's might. But $1 a month in God's hands can do more than thousands of dollars in somebody else's hands. And God is far more concerned with your obedience to follow after him. And sometimes obedience is just getting started and giving in something like this. This is not your normal tithes and offerings. This is legacy projects around the world and in our own backyard to make a difference in people's lives. Everything that gets given gets given away um, throughout the year. And, and into the following years. And uh, it's really a beautiful moment. So everybody can do something. That's my challenge for you. Everybody can do something. Don't think what I have doesn't matter. There's a leadership proverb we use around our staff a lot that says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That's one of these moments right now. Uh, I shared this in first service. There's an old parable of a, of a boy that's walking on the beach and all these starfish have washed up on the shore. You might've heard this before. All the starfish have washed up on the shore, and so they're all drying out and dying. And there's just thousands of them all over the beach, and this little boy is picking them up and throwing them back in. And this critical old man watched him and said, why are you throwing all those starfish back in? So there's no way you can save all those starfish. And the little boy reached down and picked up one and said, no, I can't save them all, but I can save this one. And he threw it back in. Listen, we may not change the world, but you can change someone's world. And that's what legacy is all about. And I have been there. I have uh, served with Anne and Megan on, in Nicaragua. I've seen what they do. It's beautiful. Most of our missionaries, I've been on the field with them to see them personally, the way we interact with them. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing as we reach out around the world. So when you give towards this, some of it's going to prevent human trafficking. Some of it's going to feeding and building homes. Uh, some of it's going to Elsa's House of Hope that you hear us talking about. Some of it's going towards benevolence, but all of it gets given away to take people 
who their walls have been destroyed and help rebuild something when they have nothing to start with. Amen? So we're gonna, so we're gonna do this. We're gonna take about 60 seconds before we transition. Uh, and you have a pledge card in front of you. Uh, you should have one. Looks like this. It's black on one side and white on the other with your information. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We have some ushers who will, who will give you one. Um, in just a second, I'm going to invite you to bring these pledge cards up front because we have to have a budget for our legacy giving and have an idea of how much we're giving away. Um, what you see on your pledge card here, it's got your name and address and such. I'll be honest, the address and zip is not that important. We're not going to hound you. We're not going to chase you down. This is not a bill. We're not going to, like, call you up and be like, you're three months, you know, late, whatever. We're, that's not the way this works. It's not a bill. But it does help us with budgeting so that we know how much is coming in so we know how much we can give away. Uh, and so your name... The first line is not so important for today. We're not taking a literal offering for this today. But if you want to give, we could always, we'll always take an offering uh, if you want to give today. But then the second line, I'm leaving, a legacy commit, uh, I'm leaving a legacy by committing to give such and such amount each month. Say, I want to give weekly. That's fine. Just cross out month and put weekly. Or I want to give semi-annually. Whatever. That's fine, too. Just make it fit you. But maybe it's $100 a month. Maybe it's $10 a month. Maybe it's $500 a month. I don't know. But you're committing to give uh, this amount each month towards legacy in our church. And so once you have that number, and I'm going to give you a second to, to talk about that with your spouse or, or to pray about it. But once you have that number, the next step is to set up reoccurring giving. Uh, on the Church Center app, uh, you will see, can, Tony, can you go to that slide? On the Church Center app, uh, where you would normally give, you can select give, enter the amount, and then there's a drop down under legacy that'll be there that can be reoccurring monthly. And that way you can stay on top of that uh, and give towards your, your project. Again, we're not going to hound you. This is not a bill. We're not calling you or whatever. Um, this is a between you and God, a faith commitment. And so if you could take that next step too in just a moment. But we want to give you about 60 seconds to pray with your spouse if they're with you or to pray by yourself and just say, God, what would you have me give? My charge to everyone in this room is to do something. Everybody can't do everything, but everybody can do something. So do something and commit to do something in this process. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and let's pray to the Lord. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. And I give myself away so you can use me. And I give myself away. Give it all. I'm going to invite our ushers to go ahead and make their way up to the front. This is what we're going to do. Um, hopefully you have a number now. If you say, I really don't have a number, you can bring it back later. It's okay. It's not the end of the world or anything like that. Um, I don't want to make this a religious moment. But this is a moment of relationship with God and hearing His voice. And uh, in, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you as an act of worship to bring those forward and just drop them in the offering buckets and then go back to your seats where we'll close in just a moment. Would you stand up with me around the room? Together we can make a difference by all partnering together.
So do me a favor. Let's all do something. All do something. And do not be ashamed if you feel like your something is not enough. I love Thane and Megan's testimony. They only had $2,000 there. What do I do with $2,000? That's nothing. It's nothing. Oh, yeah, well, $2,000, you can do quite a bit sometimes when it's in God's hands. Yeah. And $2,000 started a ministry that became $2 million a year in, in blessings for others. So, Jesus, in fact, if you have your pledge card, just, just hold it up in the air. Jesus, we don't want to be a people that hold on to your blessings. We want to be a conduit that your blessings flow through. And so, Lord, as you have led us, God, we choose to lay this offering down at your feet. And, God, I pray that you multiply, press down, shaken together, and running over. Multiply every dollar that we can give to legacy. And at the end of the day, God, it is no sacrifice to store up treasure in heaven. (laughs) And so whatever you called us to, it is not a sacrifice. We might call it that, but it's not. Because there is a greater truth than just what we experience in this reality of life. And we are storing up treasures in heaven. And right now there is a child sleeping on a bed with a single mom in Nicaragua because people were willing to give. Lord, let us see that picture. Let our eyes be opened. Let us not be nearsighted. And let us see the good that we can do through missions giving and legacy giving. So Lord, as you have called us to do this, I pray out of obedience, that you return unto your people blessings as they prove themselves to be trusted with what you've given. Bless them in return so that next year they say, I want to give even more. And the year after, I want to give even more because you continue to bless your people so they can bless others. We're grateful for it. We're trusting you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. You may bring your offerings up front. Uh, or your your pledge cards up front. And uh, Pastor Joshua will close us out in just a second. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.